0: Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast Well Dope now It's the time for the Dopey Podcast, Dope podcast. When you call in And Dope put blast. all your life on blast And you call in podcast. And talk about your past Because your Dope life was podcast. furious Hardcore and fast So Dope now it's the time for the Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast, yo this is the dopey podcast. This is the dopey podcast. Now, if your life was purely just hardcore and fast, you feel like you want and put your life on blast. Just call up the show and I talk about your past. Cause now it's the time for the dopey podcast. Dopey podcast. It's the dopey podcast. The dopey podcast, yo. This is the dopey podcast. This is the dopey podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Dopey the podcast on drugs, addiction and dumb shit. And my name is Dave and this is the incredibly special bonus Patreon episode. It's coming out right now in a second and I'm on the Zencaster link with uh Suave and Kevin of the Death by Incarceration podcast. Welcome to
2: Dopey. Thanks, Thanks for having us. You you. I just think that this is a dope ass show.
1: Suave is eating some bougie pizza in the middle of Manhattan and Kevin is in San Francisco and their story is insane. You know, to start it so casually um, doesn't really lend to the gravity of the story. And I don't mean to be uh, casual about it. Suave uh, was incarcerated at age 17 uh, for life. And thank God he's out enjoying bougie pizza. And and you're from the Bronx, right? South Bronx. So Born, Bronx. And
2: raised. Born and raised.
1: And uh, tell us, you know,
2: like, you, you were dealing coke. What was the story? <clears throat> At a very young age um, in the South Bronx, I got involved with the, the crack. It was 90, the early 80s. I was a young boy. So, I seen big drug dealers in my neighborhood And I was like I want to follow that dream And I know I couldn't do it in New York Because there was too too many big drug dealers So I moved to Philadelphia mm. And I figured That the open market For drugs in Philadelphia was wide open It was in the streets, corners I said this is it
1: Was, so it, based, to- was it based on the New York Connect? Did you bring the weight from New York? Or did you have oh, Connects in Philly? Yeah.
2: Yes, I did. No, 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 no. I went to. I moved to Philly because my mom, she was involved with um, selling Section 8 apartments, and she was running from the feds. She was running from the feds, so she moved to Philly. She thought that Philly was a decent world. She moved to Philly, and I ended up in Philadelphia with her. And I was like, shit, I can make some money here. So I used to get on the track in Philadelphia and come to New York and cop these $2 bags Back in the days, they used to sell these $2 hair round bags. I used to give them like hundreds of bundles in, in New York and take them back to Philadelphia and sell them for $20 a, a piece. I
1: think that was the first time I ever heard hundreds and bundles rhyme. How did you pull that off?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what I did. And, um, of course, when you do that in Philadelphia, jealousy started coming involved. That's when the gunplay come in. And you had to, you know, let them know I'm from New York So you're not going to take my shit And all uh, So I ended up catching the case I ended up catching the case And they offered me five years If I would tell I'm one of the big drug dealers in Philadelphia Which happened to be my father-in-law at the time And I was like, nope I'm sticking to the coal of the street So they say, okay, that's fine uh, One of the corrupt prosecutors In Philadelphia said, that's cool You don't want to talk, that's cool I just didn't know that he had something else planned, which was a life sentence. So I go to court, a day-and-a-half trial, and they tell me, You've, you got life. I still didn't understand what life meant. I didn't.
1: Let me ask you this, because this is a, maybe a stupid question. And I want to get to Kevin, too, because Kevin is a, a total heroin addict in recovery, and, and the two of them are doing this amazing podcast called Death by Incarceration, but but uh, we're going to, I mean, I never do three, two people at a time, so forgive me if I'm not deft at going back and forth between you, so forgive me in advance, but Suave, as somebody, you know, I grew up a uh, middle-class Jewish kid from Chelsea in Manhattan, and like, I don't know that I could observe the code of the streets, so my question is this, if you had known it was code of the streets or life, would you have been able to observe the code of the streets?
2: At that time, yes. Okay. Because I because I lived it. You know, I was... My mother and my sisters live in the west part in Philadelphia, which was the Badlands. And I always thought if I tell somebody, it was going to be their life, period. It was just that cold-blooded in the streets at that time. You told on somebody, your mother or sisters could get killed. So I was like, nah, we're not having that. Right. It w-
1: it wasn't necessary it wasn't necessarily life in prison or five months. It was I get out on the street and then my family gets killed because I snitched on this guy. Basically. Right. Right. So that's a whole other that's a whole other set of consequences. And uh and the other dude wound up dying though, right?
2: Well the guy the guy that I was fighting passed away. Um, he was shot in the head. And I always told the people like I ain't do this shit. Me and him was fighting I didn't even pull the trigger and But I had no way to prove it So fast forward 30 something years later I come home, we do a podcast On my story uh, A statement pop up That a certain corrupt District attorney hit the statement From my attorneys Which probably could have got me five years Right, what was the statement? We, the statement was that my Co-defender Admit to pulling the trigger. Ah. You know, he admitted. But since I was the one that was dating the daughter of the biggest drug dealer at that time in Philadelphia, I end up with the light center because I would not tell on him.
1: And how long had you been uh, running in the streets of Philly, like moving, moving uh, coke and heroin before you got busted?
2: Oh, man, like like nine months.
1: So it was a short career as a, as a drug dealer
2: and then a long time in prison. I mean, prison. Short, short career as a drug dealer, lots of money and, and, and lots of time in a prison cell. And you're 17 years old. And I'm 17. Like, how, I, could actually, I could actually sit here and tell you that at 16, 17 years old, I seen, I seen, uh, I seen like millions of dollars cash.
1: I believe you. I'm, like 40, I'm 47. I've never seen millions of dollars. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I haven't and, seen and, anything. And, and, and because that that was the times in, in Philadelphia when Coke grew. It was the crack. Crack was coming in. We were from New York, so we was some of the groundbreakers in, in New York bringing in that kind of drugs into Philadelphia.
1: Totally. Yes. Um, and now, now Philly's totally fucked up too. Like it, it's a tough, it's a tough city. Every time I went to Philadelphia, it always reminded me of the past. Like it reminded me how I pictured New York in the late seventies, even when I was there in the early nineties. Philly, right. Philly has that old school kind of uh, tough guy spot, right?
2: No, it still is. The Badlands it still is the epicenter of the hair right now.
1: The Badlands yeah. is that Kensington,
2: Kensington, right? You know, it, it's like where everything goes down. Homicide rate, um, the year just began and we got 169 homicides in the city. And a lot of it is young boys thinking they gangsters, not knowing where to wake them, um, playing with them guns and shooting people in the head like it's candy. You know, that's, that's the way it's going down in Philadelphia.
1: When they tell you you have a life sentence and you're 17, how scary is it?
2: Well, I wasn't even scared because I didn't understand it. Right. Believe it or not, I, was, I got scared of it 10 years later when I really started grasping it like I'm going to die in prison. That's when I really got like, oh, this is what life meant. It hit me 10 years later because I was, you got to remember, I was put in the most violent jail in the state at that time, which was Grateful Prison. Gratuitous State Prison. People was getting killed. People was getting raped. People was getting extorted. People was getting kidnapped in the jail. You know, and I'm in the midst of all that, right? And I had to survive. And, and, you're, so, and you're a kid. Well, I had to grow up. Fast. The, day I stepped, the day I stepped in that jail, I left whatever well, little bit of humanity I had. I left that in the front gate, right. And I, when I, and I said to myself, if I got to do this time, I'm going to do this time the way I want to do this time.
0: Okay, yeah. Which
2: was, um, I'm going to be as violent as the next man. If you, if you, if I think you're going to do something to me, I'm going to stab you the fuck up. And, and that's, how, how, I, how, and that's often how I did it.
1: How often is stuff like that happening?
2: I mean, I'll tell you about an incident when I got there. Uh, a guy stood behind me and he pressed... Too close to me. And I took it like he's testing me. You know, that's this is what they talk about when everybody get tested. So I went back to my cell. I got me a toothbrush. Put two razors on it. Melt them on it. And I went after him. I cut him 32 times.
1: Oh, my God.
2: I cut him 32 times. But, you know, if I didn't do that, that same guy probably would have got two, three more what they call booty banders at the time. And probably would have tried to rape me. And that wasn't going down. You know, but when that happened, you know, you know what else happened? Nobody in the state would dare fuck with me. I was in the most crooked jail in the state, where people's cells was getting robbed, and I spent my whole thirty years in that jail, and I never put a lock in my door. Right? Never put a lock because people knew if you rob him, these are the consequences. If you come at him with any dumb shit, these are the consequences. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody. That was just the persona I had to take. Because in reality, I'm a good guy. In reality, I give you the shirt off my back. If you need comments I gave it to you.
1: No, I, oh, I get it. To you. But like when when that happens and some dude presses you and tests you, does somebody say, "Yo, suave, you need to do this. You need to take a toothbrush." Who who teaches you how to like do that? How did you know?
2: Because I'm from New York, I'm from the street. That's that Rack Island mentality. Right. You know that you, you saw that and you read about that in Records Island. People with toothbrushes. That's where I got that from. I got it from a magazine, one of them hip hop magazines. And this is what you do. I, and it stuck with me. And and I felt so bad afterwards. I really did. But at the same time, I don't have time to be feeling sorry for nobody just trying to just trying to rape me back. I really don't.
1: You're talking about actual survival. Survival.
2: Survival of the fittest. And um, as a kid, you threw me in the jungle and I gotta survive. And the only way to survive was to become the most vicious person in that jail. It's the only way to survive at that time.
1: Was there uh, was there dealing in the jail? Like I know that in jail lots of people use. Were you using in jail? Like what was your what was your addiction oh, background like?
2: My addiction was getting money and trying to have sex with the guards. That was my addiction.
1: Hold up, hold up. How often do people have sex with the guards
2: in, in prison? I didn't know about well, that. Put, well, well, well. let me say this to you, Brad. Um I, I used to have my mother bring me drugs to the jail so I could deal them and have money. And I used to go to visit every week and bring my mother $2,000, $3,000, get another package and Everybody in the jail knew I was dealing. You know, it was like being out on the block. What were you dealing in the jail? I was dealing heroin. Okay. Because heroin seems to knock a motherfucker out in the jail and get you hooked. So that means if I'm the only one dealing it, you're going to keep coming to me with the money. And I had a steady clientele of lifers that was just hooked on drugs.
1: And how, how how do you seduce the guards? Break that down.
2: Well, you know, if you if you if you in a jail and you are as handsome as suave, of course, uh, and
1: and, 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 and,
2: and, and see the guards know what you're doing. They watch. They observe. You know, I have guards that came to me a couple of times. I need a loan. I need a couple of dollars. Right. That right there means it's a way in for me to corrupt you. Okay, here I'm going to give you a thousand dollar loan. Right. You don't even have to pay me back. But can you bring me a package in? You know, because if you bring me a package in, guess what happened? Now, you know, I can sell it and keep giving you some money. Because I know this correctional job don't pay much. So, you know, you can have your hustle on the side. And your hustle is bringing me a package of drugs.
1: One thing, I I saw your TED talk, uh, which was very emotional and brilliant. Um, and, And you talked about how when you got into the jail... Your mother would write you letters and you couldn't read the letters. No. So so how like how what was that like?
2: I mean it was it was hard because I have an image in the jail. She's got this tough guy, he would stab you up, he sell you drugs. He's fucking he, the guards, fucking But he but he can't read. But he can't read. Right? And but I found myself in solitary confinement for seven years. And I used to have my next door neighbor, yo, I'm gonna give you a box of cupcake. Cause I always went to commissary. You know, I'm gonna give you a box of cupcake. I'm gonna give you this. And, but then I got tired, I was like, damn man. I felt like he was hustling me. Like he would never read them for free. It was always get me this, get me that. So I told him, listen, why don't you do this? Let's play a game. You give me 10 words a day and I give you a box of little Debbie. Right? And it works. And by the time I got at the solitary confinement, I took a GED, I tried seven times, I failed, but my, my eighth time, I passed. And then I just signed up for college, got my degrees, and then the jail was in trouble. Because once I learned how to read and write, I became a jail, what you call, you know, jailhouse smart.
1: Jailhouse I knew, lawyer kind of thing.
2: I knew all the policies. I knew how to come at them with their own policies. I memorized some policies like these young kids memorize these J.C. songs, right? So I started challenging them in court for different shit that they was doing. You know, we went to court. Um, I made sure we had a, a, a Latino teacher in the school, and then I just got involved with political shit. And then the the jail was changing. You know, they they tied up. They took certain programs away. And and I still wanted to enjoy the perks of being in the mix. So I created my own program. Like what? We created a scholarship where we gave out 152 scholarships to children of incarcerated parents. You know, um, we was doing food drives.
1: So were you always? Were you always like that, looking for? Because you're doing three things at once. One thing is you're showing, you're, you're asserting the fact that you're not to be fucked with, and if That's somebody it. fucks with you, you're fucking them up. Number two, you're asserting the fact that you're the kingpin of the jail, making money, fucking the guards, which is probably my favorite thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and uh, and number and then the positive thing comes in. Uh, where you're trying to set up programs Had you always been about the programs Or did that come within the
2: time? It was part of being who uh, Switching the game When when I couldn't get the drugs in no more I had to have something to keep myself entertained
1: Right Why couldn't you bring the drugs in anymore?
2: Cars got fired Ah Cause got fired So what I did, I started doing programs when you run an organization in the prison, they normally let you have a money making project. I was running the ice cream. We had all the ice cream, so so we was a, I was allowed to have a 501c organization in the prison, and we was given the money making project, which was selling ice cream. We the only ice cream shop in the jail, and the jail hold five thousand people. We don't only want to sell ice cream.
1: So you were fortunate that the guard switched up and that you could switch up. Like like you learned to adapt, but you adapting put you on a positive path. Yes. So that's pretty amazing. I, I interviewed uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, and he had a, a similar story where, where he went in illiterate, learned how to read, lear- read the law books. To the point where he he retried his case as his own attorney and got out. But he wasn't about positive change in programs. He was about how he could become a better hustler. You know what I mean? Like that was always his uh, thing. You know what I mean? Like, but whatever. That's I'm not. You know, it's just an interesting story.
2: I mean, listen. I still got the hustling in my blood. Everything I do today is a hustle. Everything. It's just at a different level. You know, I took what I learned in the drug game and incorporated in the podcast in the podcast game. Now, same thing, getting 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 um all our sponsors and getting on different shows and branding yourself. What you know, it seems to it. me
1: though, what it seems to me is you're on a like a, a real positive tear, and like and the hustle hasn't necessarily become about money the way selling heroin or crack is about money. It, it's like about. Making things better for people, which is pretty I mean, tremendous.
2: When you look at it, man, you know, to to understand what I'm doing, you got to understand where I come from. Right. I, you know, I experienced a fucked up experience. I went through incarceration at a time where jails was jails. You know, men's went to jail. And if you was a chump, you wasn't going to survive. You know, I experienced that. I experienced, you know, had to become a man in the prison like overnight, period.
1: How did how did it get to the point where uh, you didn't have to do the life? Um,
2: 2012.
1: What what happened for you though? Like like because if you because you're looking in the mirror every day thinking I'm 17 in the jail, uh, I, I'm gonna die in the jail.
2: Yeah, I don't get.
1: it. You know, you, you, when you're 17 and you're like, I'm gonna, and then, then you're 27 and you're like, I'm gonna die here. And the hustle changes, and maybe you don't get to fuck the guards anymore, which I find to be very sad.
2: That's um, wrong. Now you're wrong, but you're wrong. Set me straight. You're wrong, man. Listen, that what kind mean? of stuff, that kind of stuff still happens. Right? Though it, Thank God. it You got people that's been locked up for 30, 40 years, and all we do is study the guards, the right? Weakness, the weakness, what they want, what they like, and then you shoot the game. Were you pimping out the guards? No, no, no. That would have been I, the greatest thing I've ever heard. I, I, I'm too addicted to, um, to women to be pimping them out. <laughs> I, I got to. Walk, I want them all for myself. You didn't want to share? No. Nah. So, so,
1: okay. So you're there until it's 2011. What happens as you enjoy your bougie pomodoro pizza in Midtown Manhattan?
2: I decided in 2011 uh-huh. that I was going to be a good guy. I was going to be a good guy, period. And uh, and that's what I did. I stopped fighting. I stopped disrespecting people. And I told all my crew, "Y'all can hide the dumb shit. I'm going. I want to go to school. I want to graduate." And that's what happened.
1: Well, how does it go from doing life to getting out, though? How does that
2: work? The United States Supreme Court ruled in Miller v. Alabama that they couldn't keep a juvenile in prison for life with a mandatory life sentence, which was what I had. So automatically that put me on top of the list to get re
1: On the basis that a juvenile's brain has not fully developed.
2: Developed to the age of 25. So when I go to court, I had like politicians, state reps, um, former um, police commissioner come to my hearing and say, this guy, he to be in the street. Because while in prison, I was doing projects with them. I was we were doing community work, food drive, um, clothes drives for vets. I mean, you name it, we was doing it. So when I went to court, the judge said there's no need for you to serve no more time. You out of here. Pick a door. just like that.
1: Pick a I, door. I have a real weird question, and I want you to really think about this question, okay? Because you live your life one way for a long period of time, right? and then something changed. So like, what do you think changed? Like, and do you remember changing? Or did it change slowly?
2: I remember, my change started in 1993 for real. In 1993, I met a reporter and she came into the prison and she was talking and I felt like she was talking to me. And we had a conversation, we stayed friends all them years. For me, it was being friends with somebody in the free world. For her, it was probably I'm her source. I could tell her what's going on in the prison. But I saw it as, at least I got somebody that I could call in the free world that would answer my calls.
1: And she wanted so, to hear from you.
2: And she wanted to hear from me. I have lost contact with my family. You know, my, most of my family dies when I was in prison. Mother, uncles, grandmother, grand aunt, so... The family that I, that I got, it was like nephews that was bought after I went to prison. Don't even know them. Don't care to know them either. Right? So we stayed in touch all them years, but I was still doing my dumb shit. Still doing my dumb shit. I was still doing, like, I got to hustle, you know, because to me, hustling was my survival. Then I got real good with art. So I started my art business where I used to show greeting cards to guys in the prison. And I was like, shit. then I said, "You know what? I'm tired of fighting I'm tired of going in the cells fighting with guards. I'm tired of this shit. I'm getting first of all, I'm getting too old, right um, and I don't, I don't need to be walking around with a black eye in the jail. And I just stopped. I told my crew listen, man I'm not doing it, and I became a political activist in the jail. It's amazing, but
1: it's like that change, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It happens like you're doing straight shit, you're doing art shit, you have this connection with the reporter, you feel yourself getting older. It's probably a lot like getting clean. Like, it doesn't happen at
2: once. Listen, I ran the NA and AA group in the prison for about 15 to 20 years because I always considered myself, even though I wasn't a drinker, I am today. I'm, I'm drinking wine, Right. Um, I always thought that it was the same concept. You know, I I, I was addicted to material things. I was addic- I'm a very addicted person in life, period. That's why I don't do certain things. This is why I don't do or eat certain things because I'm addicted. I don't know how to eat one. I don't know how to take one drink. Right? Like I'm getting the taste for this wine. It tastes real good. I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm on. <laughs> But, you know, I told myself You know what? I want to be a better person If I'm a guy In prison I want somebody to say He was a pretty good guy Aside from being an asshole Aside from, from trying to fight everybody He was a pretty good guy And, you know, to me It was about helping other people That was coming in with life sentences And didn't know what to do Because it's very traumatic Going to jail as a kid with a license and you don't know what to do. You can't call your mom. You can't call your father, right? And if you can't, and if you don't have the heart to do certain, commit certain acts of violence, which everybody can't, it's easy to pull a gun. It's easy to have a gun and shoot somebody. But it's hard. You got to have balls. You got to have heart to run up on somebody with a homemade knife, with a butter knife for that matter, and 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 and. and, and, and and dish out some jailhouse justice, just so you can survive. You got to have heart for that. That means you can't have no sympathy. Or oh, I'm not going to harm nobody. I've seen people with that shit. You know how many people I've seen, you know, die in prison because of that?
1: I would be dead. I would be dead like in the first week. I wouldn't have a chance in that in that in that place. I don't. I, I really. I mean, maybe I'd figure something out, or what? maybe I'd be like, I don't know. I don't even want to imagine. Thank God it didn't happen.
2: It's either that or you become vicious.
1: Right, right.
2: And you'd be surprised when you put it against the wall. How, how you're capable, you of doing, right. what you capable of doing, right. you're capable of doing. You be. I've seen guys that you never, you would never imagine that would do the shit that they dump done to right. defend themselves. Right. You know, and it was just that type of environment. It was just that type of party. It's that type so, of party.
1: So you get out. And uh, and and you and the reporter, what's her name? Maria Nojosa. Maria Nahosa, uh sets up the Suave podcast, telling your story. A lot of the conversations you guys had recorded together, right? She right. released those. Um, and is that how Kevin jumps? Kevin, punk rock, heroin addict, podcasting, social imprint, t-shirt making, jumps into it. Is that how did you catch the Suave fever, Kevin?
3: Oh. So my uh, my friend is, is one of my friends is the producer of the show Maggie Freeling. So I heard. Hold on one second.
2: Kevin is like the guy that I always okay. wanted to be, but I ain't had the heart to be that guy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the producer of of the Suave podcast is a woman by the name of Maggie Freeling. She was on my podcast, which you've been on, Dave. Adulting, I've well. been on it. So Suave, you,
1: Suave. Have you been on Adulting done.
2: Well?
3: No, not Chip. He he was. We're gonna we're we're gonna interview we're gonna interview somebody that I want Suave to come on and be the guest the guest host for because he's he's a fan of hers. We gotta uh, keep uh, that uh, a little anonymous. Yeah, yeah, I want
2: to tell you some story
3: about her. But she sent me a link to the trailer to Suave, and she's like, "Check out my new show." And I listened to it, and I was like, "You gotta give me that guy's number." I I have an idea for a show. I've been. Rolling it around in my head for years. I just couldn't find the right co-host. Suave is my guy. And she gave it to me. So I I just called him one Sunday afternoon. I'm like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And he said, I'll do the show with you under one condition. It's all 50-50. We're both co-creators. We're both co-hosts. We're both co-producers. There's no, everything we decide, we decide. And we got to be in unity on. And that's that. And then he says, well, one other thing, it's got to be called death by incarceration, too. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. We had that conversation before we even got the network or did anything else. We started interviewing people almost immediately. And Kevin,
1: Kevin, you're a yeah. heroin addict, right? When you when you hear that yeah. story about, uh, you know, getting arrested at age 17 and doing life and then having a change of heart. Can you identify with that?
3: Oh yeah. So when I, have been clean 22 years, the 23 in November. And when I, I basically bounced in and out of AA and a rehabs, hospitals, you know, I was, I, I was led the, the, read the last rites of the Catholic church actually in general hospital in San Francisco, because my body was septic. I was like, you know, I was really living on the streets. I was living on a roof actually with some other junkie friends. And, um, and I, I kept getting arrested. I got picked up in Portland. I ran, so I had a warrant up there that I had to deal with after, after I got clean. And um, the last time I got arrested in San Francisco, I was just like, they asked me if I wanted to, if I wanted to sign up to get like, you know, pretrial release through diversion or any of that other other stuff. And I just said no. I give up. I, I was like. I give, I can't do this anymore. I was, you know, I was, I was breaking into cars. I was doing all the stuff you do when you need to hustle and get money to get heroin. Um, and I just, I just couldn't do it. I was tired, you know, and this is at like 27 years old. I was wiped out. I started drinking when I was 13, you know? So I, I had a pretty long career of drug and alcohol abuse. And, um, I, I just thought to myself one way or another, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta change this. I, I'm not this guy. This is not me. And I knew, you you kind of have that inner voice. Like I'm not a thief and I'm not a liar and I'm not all these things that I've become. So, you know, I was sitting in a jail cell and what is now, uh, actually they tore it down because it was condemned. The building was condemned. So that's where they were housing people in San Francisco in this place called the tears, San Bruno. I had a, a a hole in in the window in my cell. So the fog would come in. I'm kicking heroin like like one to two grams a day, you know, you know, cold Turkey in that cell freezing my ass off. Cause they won't give you an extra blanket. And I just, I was like, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I had, I think like four felonies and, and 14 misdemeanors, failures to appear a worn out of Portland. And I, I just like threw myself at the mercy of my defender. And I, you know, I got lucky. I also am white. So I'll be clear about that. You know, I'm a white kid, 27 years old. I got rehab. I got, I got a two year rehab instead of going to San Quentin for four years, you know? And meanwhile, all the guys I was in there with, going to going to court with, you know, basically guys that look like Suave, you know, I all doubt, getting, I doubt like, they were as
1: handsome and, as Suave. Come, come on now, not,
3: not as not as handsome. Were they fucking but, the guards yeah. in the prison or no? Well, this was in county jail, so I don't know. Listen
2: here, that, going type, on. Listen, that was, type of shit go on every day, Derek, in the prison. Every day, dude. <laughs> how
1: come it's not in any of the? Listen, I'm a TV, I'm a, I'm a TV whore, and I watch a lot of stuff. No one's fucking the guards in the shows. We need to write a show, like some kind of show about just having sex with prison guards. Show. I think that's a thing. I think that would be a big thing,
2: Swallow. Do you know how many guards have babies by prisoners? I don't. I don't know anything that, about it. it. It's a bunch of them. It's, a, it's outdated. It's a bunch of them.
3: Swab, so hold your mic up a little closer. Let me you ask know.
1: you this, Kevin: little, like, um, You're in the jail kicking. You've probably kicked dope a million times at that point. You just knew. I mean, like, because I think that the, the 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 commonality between you two is at some point you make a change and you decide to double down on the change, right? You both came from one place and wound up going to someplace else that involved bringing other people with you and, and trying to spread goodness instead of take. Right.
3: Yeah. And I think Swave so hit it. Like when, when I was using, it was almost like this persona would take over. It was like a different personality would take over. And I was like, I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about my friends. I didn't care about anyone. All I cared about was getting more dope. That was it. And then basically protecting myself in any way I could. Cause living on the street, whether you're in San Francisco, you know, Portland, anywhere is not fun. You know, you're exposed to the elements. There's predators out there. I I had, I had money and dope stolen from me. I had, you know, guns held to my head by dealers who I owed money to, you know, crazy shit happens when you're living that lifestyle. And I, I, you know, I was raised in a, my dad was a, he worked really hard, you know, and, but I come from a long line of alcoholics and uh, you know, and, I had to learn more about being an adult and being a man in the last 22 years than I did in, in the first, you know, 27. So, you know, it's been a lot of work. So it's, not, it's not like something that happened overnight, but I did make that decision just like Suave did. It was like, I don't want to be this guy anymore. I don't want to be stealing from my friends, from my family. I don't want to be stealing. Well, at that point, everybody had kind of disowned me, but I don't want to be stealing from, uh, you know, Home Depot and then returning the shit an hour later and possibly getting caught. You know what I mean? How...
1: How it just, instrumental
3: just, was being
1: locked up and in, in finding a bottom? Do you think you could have had a bottom without being in the cell?
3: I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I, you know, I will say I used to joke about it in meetings. I was rescued by the by the San Francisco police. Listen, department. I feel, I just feel, just feel let the same way, you. man. I feel the
2: same way. I'm glad you said that. I feel the same way. I feel that I was rescued. Yeah. by the Department of Correction, because if it wasn't for me being in prison, I probably
3: would have been dead in 86. Yeah. Agreed. So, and just to tell the story of my last arrest, I was, I, I had just gotten, we have GA in San Francisco, so if you're indigent, you can go get general assistance. I'd just gotten a GA check. I'd done a bunch of boosting. I had all this money. I had a couple of grams of dope on me, but I was so addicted to, like, the adrenaline dump that I got from going and boosting that I walked into the Disney store on market street and literally with a bag scooped an entire shelf of sweatshirts into my bag and walked out of there. And the security guard chased me down and tackled me, which wasn't hard because I weighed about 120 pounds. And uh, you know, he's, he's like, I've been watching you for months, man. You get out of here too quick and I can't grab you. Cause I'm in the back watching the videos. (laughs) He goes, man, I'm so glad I caught you two female police come pick me up. One of them turns around on the way to 850 Bryant and she said, you're young. You're, you look like you could be cute if you weren't so dirty. What the fuck are you doing with your life? You know, and that was like the wake up call. You know, I was like, she's right. And I just that her, her, just the way she <laughs> the talked popo, to me, the popo told people. you that you could be cute and you believed it. The
1: <laughs> popo, oh, my God. No, he Kevin was, was you know, about to turn out the, the cop. Like you turn up the, you turn up the guards. He was like, how are you doing?
3: The, from, now, <laughs> from now on, we're, we're calling it the suave. I was trying to do the suave on it, you know? And, uh, but you know, I, I got, I, I went to, I went to jail and, and that last time. And my lawyer was like, look, you can take this deal, which is going to land you in either Delancey street or Walden house, which were the two long-term treatment facilities in San Francisco at the time. Those were the only two that would take me. And, um, or you're can you basically on your way to San Quentin. Because if we fight this, you're gonna lose. You got caught with a backpack full of stolen credit cards that got your prints off of a car that they were taken out of, and you were trying to use them. (laughs) You know, like, there's no way you're getting out of this. So, you know, I was like, oh, I'll take rehab, I'm cool. Well, let me tell you this, Dave, let me tell you this, right?
2: And this is not a joke, this is serious shit, man. Um, So take it as serious, Dave, because I love when you smile, right? Um, I love the Eagle Booster, right? But let me tell you something. There's certain women. Prison guards are just regular people, like certain women that are attracted to that kind of lifestyle, right? Dudes getting money. Dudes thinking they're running to jail because they feel protected. They feel like if I give this guy a smile or show him a piece of ass or something, nobody's going to mess with me. That's not fun, man. If you see some of them women that give it up so fast in the prison it's an embarrassment I would not even come close to them right now right and, and, and that's not it's it, it, you know because I, I think of myself more than that today right but when you're in a place like that it's like alright alright close your eyes and just go for it right so yeah you know it's you gotta have a little better Than the other guys But at the end of the day You feel so bad Like How can you Degrade yourself To that standard right. right Especially A guy like me That my name Is Suave Right Right And I mean that That's not a nickname That's in my birth certificate Right And I fought for the guards Who called me Suave Instead of Lewis Like no Call me by my middle name Because it's shiny Hip You know So, but what they didn't know was that I wasn't no fly guy. I wasn't no hip guy. I wasn't that guy. It was all persona. Because the day I got resentenced, and they told me I was going home, I was. It was like a transformation. They was like, "I never seen you act this way." I was telling people, "I love you, bro. God bless you." Right I'm out You know because That's who I'm really at God came into you as soon, as soon as you could Give it
1: out It came into you I hear you And I'm just playing You know I just think Shit like that is funny yeah, Cause I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idiot I can't I, help I,
2: myself I, I just want people To know man That it's It's a necessity thing And I did what I had to do To survive I, I really did And um some of the, Sometimes when I'm walking the streets of Philly, I see one or two people and I was like, they'd be like, you remember me? I was like, how can I forget you? It was the worst sexual experience I ever had.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there's also a high
1: to be wanted in a situation where you feel totally unwanted. There, there's some action there. And like, and like, I think it's, you know, the fucked up thing is when they can use their power on you and they, and they're like, they're like, let's go, right? Did, they, did the guards
2: do it like that ever? Oh, yeah. You had some people, some, some of the older ones, some of the oldest females, they were aggressive. Right. That's when it gets really, like, not what you want. Like, you will be mines, and you ain't got a choice in this. And the minute you turn them down, you end up with a write-up. They make and that's, up, right. They make, they make up some shit, so it's almost like, man, I might as get well have some fun while I can't. Absolutely. Like, And, 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 yeah, I've seen them situations all the time, all the time. Like, it's just situations that what what a lot of people don't understand is that prison walls are not there just to keep us in. They're also there to keep the public from knowing what's going on. And if the taxpayers would know what goes on in the prisons with their tax money, they will demand that them jails be closed or an alternative.
1: Give me an example besides the guard business.
2: Um you have guards that didn't know how to read or write. But yet they want to write you up and tell you how you spell this word. And I'm like, you dumb motherfucker, you want me to tell you how to spell what I did so you can write it in a misconduct? You know, people guards are just regular people like us. They some of them got caught, some of them didn't. Right? And they just happen to get the job because a correctional officer job is not really a good job. Unless you're up in the higher administration, it's not really a good job. You're turning keys and you're looking up people's ass and telling people, lift your boss and your dick up. Right. And that's your job. Right. So if you do that for 20 years, can you imagine when you go home and you're your wife, all you think thinking is about somebody's penis. you think about somebody's balls and penis. That's all that's coming to your mind. So they get caught up because some of the guards wanted to be us in this group. Right. They want they, they to say, oh, i know SWAT man. And I'm like, you don't want to tell that shit to people that I've done shit in the street because they might shoot you. Don't tell nobody you know me. Right? Because I'm not the right guy to be knowing.
1: But right? that's when they think they think that they're you and they get the prison mentality even though they're free. And they get the, the player mentality even right. though they're just a correctional officer.
2: Yeah, and they, and they start acting like convicts and that's when they fuck up. That's when they start Lacking and Doing dumb shit Get caught Lose their job Lose their pension Now they got to Explain to their family Well you know They set me up Now they got to Come up with a good Story They set me up I really didn't do that I mean can you imagine You being a Correctional officer And you get caught Having sex with a Prisoner What you got to Explain to your Husband or your Boyfriend Now, what, no. what,
1: what, what happened baby Oh I don't know You know it was a setup. No, they'd be like, you You obviously
2: never saw Suave. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> and, and, and you know what's funny when well, you say that? Every time, every time that the guards was on the block, they made the females made it their business to be on shower, dude. So they look, look in the shower. And that's when everybody got naked. I didn't. I kept my clothes on and I was out. Too much nakedness for me.
1: I hear you. It's crazy. <laughs> now, let's, let's talk about... Um, death by incarceration you know what I'm saying like like basically Kevin heard your story and, and Kevin what was your vision before you connected with Suave because you were like Suave would be the perfect person to collaborate with what was your thought before you even knew him
3: well I mean I, I for a long time I've wanted to do a show about the system that's much more intimate than what we're hearing out there because most shows there really isn't anything like exactly what we're doing out where we're interviewing not just a specific sort of, you know, kind of guest, So we're interviewing individuals that are incarcerated currently. We're interviewing people that have been incarcerated, that have returned, you know, from incarceration, policymakers. We're interviewing people that, um, uh, victims, you know, so we're trying to get all sides of this in a way that's more intimate, you know, and really tell the story of what's going on. And what Suave was talking about with guards, I mean, you can look at San Quentin out here Couple, they had somebody die on death row an overdose. Nobody sees death row inmates in person except guards, you know? I mean, they get some visits, but it's not – it's very rare, and it's very hard to get drugs into San Quentin. So, you know, when, when you see these th- kinds of things, and I've been through the system myself, and seeing the disparities between how people are treated, I was like, somebody's got to start really talking about this, and not from the same, like – you know, full on one side of the story kind of version, like we really need to have like real community conversations. And what I started noticing as Suave and I were talking and interviewing people. And this was kind of already in, in the back of my head. And I noticed it was that so many of the people that are locked up are, they were victims of violent crime. In some way or another, either they witness somebody get killed, they somebody on their block got killed in front of them, a family member in Suave's case, and then they become actors in those crimes. And then when they get into the system, really they're just revictimized, you know, because the system victimizes people. It, it viciously, viciously. And the victimizes. first
1: thing you were saying though was that if somebody overdoses uh, on death row, it means the guard brought
3: the drugs in. That's your point. It's likely. I it, I would assume that it came in through staff. Do
1: you guys but, think you're gonna have was, uh, you're gonna have any guards I, on uh on the
2: show? Well, we, we I would love we to. We probably have a former guard that got fired. I know a few of them, right? But let me tell you this: ninety percent of the narcotics, ninety percent of the cell phones, ninety percent of the contraband that come into the state prisons. Believe me, people, as as us person that used to get contraband in the prison coming in through the guards. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, if you were to iron scan the guards, the jail would be locked down because they cannot come to work. Because guards come to work drunk, high, everything. Everything. Then you got the guards that was coming in and selling ass in the prison to other guards. Right. They, they were tricking with other guards. You know, especially if you were in a jail this as close as Grateful was to the city, were mainly like the morning guards that were all white coming from suburban. But the two to ten shift, which is where everything happened at, were all black guards coming from north, south, and west Philadelphia. So everybody knew each other. Everybody was homie. This girl came from the street club. She leave work and go to the street club, a guard. Right. You know, so that's the type of jail. But ninety percent of the contraband that go into any correctional facility come in from guards. Let me ask
1: you this, just 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 for my own curiosity: Did you ever encounter any any guards who were cool or just or not totally fucked up? Like, is it? Or I'm sure there have to be correctional Uh-oh. officers who are good good folks.
2: No? Let me say this: This is not an indictment on nobody, right? You had some guards; they were like mothers. Some of them were like fathers because they've been there so long with you throughout your whole bit, and that's how they treated you. Um, today, I am friends, not with one, but with two former superintendents that I could call. Yo, what's going on? I'm going through this, you know. So, no, listen, you had some guards that was role models, right? They they were really stand up people that came in to do the job. They didn't get caught. They know you was in the dumb shit, but that wasn't their concern. Their concern is, I do my job. As long as you don't kill nobody on my shift, that's it. We good. I'm not going to bring nothing for you, but we good. So you do have some decent guards, right? And I think that story get lost because people want to hear about the bad ones. Nah, man, they're not all bad. They're not all bad. And I can say that because I know a few of them. They're not all bad. Um, you do have some, some that just want to be convicts. They just never got caught. So this is the chance for them to be around killers, to be around tough guy and, and, and they get to, yeah, man, if I wasn't the guard, I'd be this. You know, you do have some, but then you got some that just like mothers. They've been there 25, 30 years with you.
1: But the, the system itself has to fuck with everybody's heads from the top down. It has to like be a prison. It has to be the biggest psychological fucking whammy in the history of psychological whammies. Listen, like, there's
2: not one guard that haven't been traumatized in, in the prison system, and they tell you themselves. They tell you. I know guards. They will tell you. I came in one way, thinking that this was going to be this way, and I came out a whole different way. Then you got guards that got family members in the prison. Cousins and nephews, you know, then you got them guards. So they force to treat to halfway human because their family members are in their prison.
1: Right. And when we say when, when death by incarceration is going to give a voice to the voiceless, what does that look like?
2: That look like. Well, the incurs- that, let me say something real quick and then you got it. That look like us putting people. That haven't spoken to the media in 30, 40 years To tell us what it is to be in prison That's what that looks like That means we giving a voice to people that society wrote off Don't even know about Like we interviewing a guy soon Been in jail 48 years Right Haven't spoken to nobody in 48 years Haven't had a visit in 40 years Right You know, so Those are the type of people that I think Society needs to hear like What do we do With a guy that's been in jail 48 years What threat can he be to somebody He's probably 67 70 years old now What threat can he be to anyone What do we serve Is that justice Keeping somebody in jail for 50 years Come on man we're supposed to be America, a Christian country where everybody, God God bless America, God bless you. Get the fuck out of here. You got people in prison that's been in jail 67 years. I was in prison with the oldest juvenile lifer in the country. 67 years. He went to jail in 1952. Oh, my God. Before my father was spit out somebody's balls. He was in jail in 1952. When Eisenhower was the president, he right. just he just got out, right? So you mean to tell me that's justice? Come on, America! I don't believe in that shit. We should replace that statue with the uh, with the with the justice scales and put my homie Kevin there with two microphones like this,
3: because this <laughs> this is what this shit is about, <laughs> man. I'm dead serious. Yeah. So, and what Swaby is saying is that essentially the whole point of the system is to separate dehumanized, and silenced, right? So the way that we're doing it is we're basically setting up, we're we're sort of jumping in and ambushing visits. Like we have family members turning the phone over to us, the video over to us, and we're talking to people that are locked up and basically just letting them tell their stories. They're not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. They're not saying anything about specific people in there. They're telling their stories, their personal stories, and we're we're documenting
1: it so that so know? that the audience huh. can know what reality is. Yeah. And like, and when everybody talks about prison reform, like that seems to be like a buzz kind of thing. Prison reform, like, how do we reform the prisons? How do the prisons get reformed? Like, how can it happen? They don't. They get
3: torn down to the studs, and and redou- then they're
1: privatized. Right? They're, Aren't they all privatized now?
3: Some of them are. Some of them no. Are. Some of them are. Yeah. Mostly feds. But the, the thing about the prison system is it needs to be torn down to the studs and rebuilt. We need, we need to really look at how we treat people who need to be rehabil- rehabilitated because we're not doing that on any level. So, you know, it's like drug rehab. We're just starting to get to the point now where addicts are understood because everybody's life in one way or another is touched by addiction. I don't know a single person now in my circle that hasn't had somebody in their life that was a drug addict or has been incarcerated and stuff like. That. And I live in Marin County, California,
2: I mean, but it's it care, but It's so like just, that everywhere. I've I, I run with you know. I know a couple of politicians that you would think, oh, they never had nobody. They would tell you, you know what? You know why I like talking to you because I got a nephew that's been in jail ten years. I got a grandson. And I'm like, and why are you going to put that in the public? Because I don't want my Republican friends and I don't want my friends in the main line in Philadelphia to know that I have somebody in
1: prison. Shame. It's shame you're talking about. Yeah. You know, that,
2: that stigma that yeah. comes with incarceration. And I tell them, do you love your grandson? Yeah. All right, so stand the fuck up and put that shame to the side. The same way you stand up when Donald Trump come to your city and you want to act like you support him but you really don't. Do that shit for your grandkid to need your support,
1: right? Be yourself.
2: You, you know, stop, stop yeah. the bullshit. Because guess what? This is America, the land of incarceration, right? The land pivot. And, and the most one out of every five people know somebody in prison or has somebody in prison. So, so they,
1: let me ask you this though. I don't mean to interrupt you, and I apologize for interrupting. No uh, apologies, Dave. No apologies. When Kevin comes at you with his dream. What made you decide to sign up with this guy?
2: Man, listen, it wasn't a hard sell. He even, I just said, I'd do it for this and this and that. To me, it was, I found my other half. I found my, the brother that agreed that I'm a little twisted in the head. Oh, you think I so? Find, Oh yeah, yeah, I found somebody that think like me Somebody that want to do the same shit And we got the same vision It was like, let's do it You know, and what I told them was I don't want to wait two, three years to do a podcast Let's do this shit now I got on the phone, I contact everybody I know We need you to interview you You know, we managed to get DAs And man, we just Imagine this, people A former Jew in our life And a former heroin addict We just interviewed the lieutenant governor Of the state of Pennsylvania this morning
1: and I think that's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I think you guys I mean, can do anything.
2: I and mean, I, we interviewed Chester D. District Attorney for San Francisco. I mean, how better can it? District Attorney of Philadelphia. How better can it get for two felons? Come on, if we could do it, everybody out there with a felon could do it. I don't. I don't want no excuses. Thank I you.
1: It. I'd I also want, just. I. I love to see. A white dude in Marin And a black dude in New York By way of Philly By way of the South Bronx c- Being brothers And coming together And being on a team Like it's beautiful to me You know what I mean I love Wait, that show
2: I'm gonna tell you man Y'all fuck with Kevin You got a little fight in me I'm coming I'm not fucking with me What do you
1: mean I'm not, I'm not fuck with
2: anybody You crazy <laughs> see, man Not you That's my brother man And I mean that because I think that I think it works because when I call white people and tell them I need you on the show, they would be like, nope, we're a felon. But when Kevin called, they'd be like, oh, sure, what time? Send me the link. So I'm like, this is it right here. They don't
0: realize
1: that Kevin's a felon, too, somehow.
2: (laughs) No. You should see their face when he was like, I'm a um, um, 22-year recovering addict. You see the twist, they'd be like... What the fuck! I signed. Yeah, like I never should have.
1: I never should have done this interview. I, I didn't realize he was a junkie. I thought you were the junkie. Oh, but, that's, great.
2: But when that's he, great. when he, when he, when Maggie introduced me to him, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. You know, let's do this. I think timing is everything, and mm-hmm. our show is coming out at a time where we see the 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 floor case, where we see all these cop shootings, where we are the voice that don't people protesting want to hear. We are the show that they want to come on and say, fuck the police, you know. And we're not, we not sanctioning nobody. That's one thing we told the network. If you want to sanction us, if you want to uh, put restrictions, then we can go somewhere else. You know, because yeah. it's not funny when you, when you can't call somebody out for who they are. We want to be able to say, you bullshitting. We got you on the show, but we know you bullshitting. We know you're a piece of shit. We will not be able to tell our guests that and still be like, but thank you for coming on to our show.
1: Right? I got you. I know exactly what you mean. I know, exa- I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, a lot of drug addicts in and out of recovery, a uh, lot of different people. And a lot of the people that have been on the show have been in prison. And I hear a lot of people getting clean in prison. You know, like that's a common story that I get to hear. How often is that reality?
2: I mean, it's happening a lot because a lot of people in prison don't have the hustle to get high. But if they did have the money, you know, when you get high in prison, you are exclusive. That means that you have family that come visit you every week and snuff you in them $20, 50 bills. And you, you, you know, take your sandwich wrapper, wrap them up, stuff them in your pocketbook, in your booty. Right. That means you have somebody that's doing that for you. So you live in laws. You have the luxury to be an addict in prison. Most people don't have that luxury. When, you, people, when
1: those people that get to stay uh, high in jail, do people know that they could take advantage because there's obviously a stream of money? No,
2: no. You can't take. Listen, if, don't mess with my clients.
1: Right. They, they're, they're protected because they're like the golden goose.
2: They, they, I had a guy that was bringing me $200 every Saturday. If I ain't sold nothing else, I knew that I had $200 cash. You multiply that by four or five years. So you try to keep that guy out it. And even when he don't have it, guess what you do?
0: You know, hey, I'm going to give of. you...
2: I'm gonna give you half a bag, right? Because you spent a lot of money. I'm not gonna let you get sick, and you go take that, keep him happy. Guess what? When he go back, when he come back, he gonna come to you and you only because you looked out for him when he was sick and his nose was running and he had to run. And the guard would take his time opening the door, so you got shit on yourself. It's like investing in him. You knew it would pay off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the same thing that happened in the community. Happening in the prison it's just happened on a different level right same thing right you you could get liquor you could get wine you could get whatever you think about lobsters McDonald's what if you got money cash money in the prison you living like a kingpin. pen period.
1: Well, I think this has been a great, 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 uh, look into this story and like a great, do you think, do we miss anything about death by incarceration? Do you feel like a stone has been left unturned or was it well, too much fucking with the guards for me?
2: No, but let's I, check this out, I can't man. help myself. Check this out. Go to um, Death by Incarceration Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere you get your podcast, and listen to us. Subscribe, subscribe and rate it because we are giving you the truth. And if you think we're lying to you and if you detect that we lying to you, we want you to call Kevin Oswab and call us out and we will put you on the air to do so. Because nowhere in the atmosphere of podcast are you going to get what we're bringing you, which is Death by Incarceration. All
1: right. Well, we have a lot of people in the Dopey Nation who uh, have lived through incarceration. So you guys should check out Death by Incarceration wherever you get your, your podcasts. I don't think anyone is going to be stepping to Kevin and Suavecito over here. I don't think that's going to happen.
2: Right. No, Suave is too soft. man.
1: Nobody calls you Suavecito?
2: No, it's too soft,
1: man. What about Maria? No, never. All,
2: listen, I, I, even though I've been out the game, out the street game, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little rough around the edges, man. I'm just trying to have fun <laughs> over here, Mr. Suave. Forgive me. But, but for real, thank you for having us on the show. I think that these are the type of show that people could get in, they're organic. You could just have fun and don't have to worry about it. I got to be all proper and I, I, I can't tell them about my experience with the guards. That was great. I mean, you serving life and you having sex with the guard, Dude, you living. You are the guy. I sometimes one of the guards said, you look like Tom Cruise. And I knew it was bullshit, but I believed it. Well, the best
1: thing is that you're sitting in this restaurant. You're eating the delicious pomodoro. You're, you're free. And you're helping people. Like, that's, 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 listen, whatever happened before, today's a new day. You get to go wherever you want and you get to do good shit for people, which is the best part of the whole story.
2: I'm beginning to adjust to meeting great people like Kevin and great people like yourself, man, that, that it's like, you can't even imagine this when you're in the prison. You know, I'm gonna go out and talk to a, a hoax. This shit is like a dream come true. For the regular person, it's like, oh, well, that happens every day. But it don't. It don't. Not for lifers, you know. And for me to be able to do this and have some fun and say, you know what, man? I just met a great dude called Dave and he run this podcast called Dopey, which I ain't going to brag about it in a second on my Instagram. It's almost like, it's almost like a dream come true. You know, because people think that there's no great people out here and I always tell people when they call me from the jail man I met so many great people man that it's unreal you know what I'm doing now? I'm shipping some of the people that I already know that I don't really like but I got them in my life anyway because I don't want to be without knowing anyone to I'm replacing them for every good person that I meet like okay I could block this person for 30 days and if that person don't make an effort in calling me in 30 days then I'm cool with it because I'm just meeting, I'm learning how to meet great people and just people that want to bring a change in their own way. I didn't even ask you. When did you get out? I got out 2017, November 20th. A year to the date um, that I was home, parole locked me up. Right, a year to the date.
1: How did you violate, or did you not violate? Not, what happened?
2: I never had a violation in my life. Never, you know. Um, I was messing with this girl, this dopey girl, and um, <laughs> and, and she caught feelings, and she told parole he hit me. Oh the problem God. was, the problem was, at that time I was working at the twenty fifth police district because my first job home was working at the police station, right? So they had videos and camera, but parole still want to be assholes, so they locked me up till they find out this guy wasn't even in Delaware this guy was at work so i never got a violation never got a check it don't even it don't even pop up on the records that i was back in prison and to end this conversation they put me next door to the most corny comedian in the world bill cosby i was in the jail in the the jail did you talk to him every day and i used to tell him Cosby, you the most corny motherfucker i ever met what would he say Who's like I'm the Jello Man? I'm like you ain't. Like <laughs> is that what me. he would say? Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up.
1: You're saying you're in jail. <laughs> I wish I had gotten this in the beginning because I'm I'm obsessed with this. You're in jail next to Bill Cosby, and he bragged about being the Jello Man. Is that
2: true? Yeah, yeah. What else did he, mean, he say? Listen, he is a he do he do have a sense of humor. He, of he, course, uh,
1: he's a he's a genius. No, he's. I not. mean, he is, listen Bill Cosby's a lot of things He's done a lot of fucking ill things He's, you know, but he's Bill Cosby, he created the Cosby show He created a lot of really good black material He created Fat Albert, for Christ's sake Fat well, Albert, yeah. that's genius Are you kidding?
2: And all those fucking shows in today's time Nobody will watch But anyway, but anyway Did boy, you like Fat Albert when you were a kid? No, I was too caught up in the drug game No when you were a little kid, you're six was, years old, that Albert doesn't come on? Listen, when I was coming up, it was Scarface and Miami Vice. At
1: five years old, you're like, Mommy, let's watch fucking Tony Montana again.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, that's hardcore.
2: That's,
1: that's, <laughs> that's hardcore.
2: I, you know who I blame for me going to prison? Sean Penn. When I see that movie, Bad Boys. Okay. I said, I want to go there. I think I can beat half of them guys. No lie. I thought I was Issa Morales at one time. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Bill Cosby, the young guys used to call him Uncle Bill. And he was like, no, American dad. Not Uncle Bill. I'm American dad. <laughs> so mean, he's n- he's crazy. He, he, he's crazy but smart because he decided that he wasn't going to take lockup. And they put him in regular population. And... People respect that. You know, I respect the shit out of that. This guy's a multi-millionaire. He in the prison with all these young guys, and nobody and, fucked with him. No, Nope. Nope. because he got a lifer. They wheel him around in a wheelchair. It's like his caretaker. But Bill Cosby, don't he lived like a poor man in prison? If you see his cell, like a guy that don't have no money, no support. He don't even have a TV. Why? Because he choose to. When Why do goes, you
1: suppose that is?
2: Because I think he don't want people to think he's showing off and then become a target. But when he go to commissary, he buy the same thing: a case of water, garlic, and that's it. Garlic? I used, yeah, I used to tell me, "Yo, you smell like a goddamn garlic, bro! Shit coming out your pores." Did he's he take it for out. health reasons? No, that's just some shit people do in prison. If I eat garlic, it's gonna last. It's gonna make me last forever. I used to tell people, "What the fuck, you want to be in prison forever? Eating garlic? You, it's bad enough you got do You've been in here thirty years. You want another thirty years in here?" Did like, he
0: seem
1: to have a sense of humor in prison or no?
2: Yeah, he do got a sense of humor. He has a sense of humor, man. That's and he, crazy. And, and, and he's bright. When he gets to talk about why he's in prison and how he landed in prison, he catches people's attention. What did he say? Like, like you know, he, he bringing racism, him being black, him trying to buy part of CBS and all this. I mean, listen, the man is really, you know, I got to give it to him. I'm not going to hate on Bill. He He's he's bright. He's bright. Of course.
1: He figured and, a lot of shit out that nobody else figured out. He I mean, just did some crazy, crazy ill shit to a course. bunch of women. Allegedly. Allegedly. Thank Allegedly. you. Allegedly. 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 Allegedly, you know, That's nuts when 30 people come out. That's that's when it gets crazy. This thing, uh, Cuomo, you know, 10 women have come out against Cuomo, but it's totally alleged, you know. Wow. So when did you get out after that
2: one? I got out on um, February 28, 2018.
1: Okay. So you're out for like three years, right? Three years. And you're starting to get comfortable, which is
2: great. Man, listen, I was comfortable the day one, but I was never in prison. My right. body was, but my mind wasn't. All right. Well, good
1: deal. And I, I think you guys like I think you're on to something super cool with death by incarceration. Kevin, is there any stone that you feel like I haven't I want to hear more about your 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 drug history, but we can do that another time. Uh, uh, is there anything that we didn't say about death by incarceration that you'd like to include? Because I don't know if you know this while Kevin has been uh, jumping and trying to help me out with dopey stuff. So I want to make sure that, like, you know, I take care of him when he's on the show. You know what I'm saying?
3: Right,
2: listen, well, I listen. Love a friend of Kevin is a friend of mine. I'm going up on Instagram and putting your shit on there.
3: Right on. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's, and he's got a good following too. Uh, you know, the the thing is, basically, people have to listen and see if it's if it's for them. We're we're you know we're doing a lot of hard work. We take our interviews seriously, you know. We, we we don't let people off the hook, especially Suave. I'm, you know, I'm. A, I get a little like starstruck when I talk to people like Fetterman, who's been all over the news the last year. But you know, Suave, Suave asks them the hard questions, and he they so they know when they come on, this is going to be unfiltered. We're we don't, we don't edit stuff out for content. If it's if it you know if if there's like stalls and things like that, we'll take it out. But the fact of the matter is. We ask people hard questions and we get the answers, you know. And, and, and you know, even Krasner, who's a lawyer, had to deal with us, you know.
1: See, I just throw
3: softballs all
1: right day. Right down the block, I'm coming. I up. never, never asked the hard questions.
3: Yep. So he, you're going to see Maggie right That's now, what aren't I'm you? Doing. So? That's when we just
2: calling me. I'm right down the block from her. But yeah, um, um, uh, but now, nah, but these shows like Dopey is important because people forget, man, that of uh, recovering addicts have a story that can't be evolved you know they make you want to go back into your uh, history and remember yeah you know my father was an alcoholic we just never told nobody because it was embarrassing Right. or or the reason I started drinking was because my mother every time she put us to bed she brought the bottle of whiskey out in you know drunk herself to sleep you know so these stories and plus recovering addicts man I have a disease man it's not it's not a sickness and I work in that field out here it's, it's not a sickness it's nothing bad to say I'm a recovering addict really I'm a recovering addict Period. and I say that in, you know with good intention so I want people to know man like shows like Dopey you come on you could be yourself
1: I appreciate yourself. that that's we want to we want to have a good time on Dopey even though there's a lot of serious serious you know stuff um, I want it to be fun. I want everybody to be comfortable. And I really do appreciate you guys coming through. And then we always close the show with, uh, with we say, Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And we say fucking toodles for Chris. Chris was my partner who uh, who died. And um, he always needed to say toodles. So I, I want to I thank you guys again for coming through. I appreciate anytime,
2: it. Anytime. 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 Thanks, Dave. All right.
1: So if All you right. need anything from me, Suave,
2: uh, hit me up. Yeah, I'm going to hit you up. I need that sandwich. I'm I got you. you I got you. No <laughs> problem. All, All right, right, cool, man. Nice okay, to meet I you. I'll give you a call when I get to the restaurant. Cool,
1: man. Appreciate it.